Yeah. How's it going? Sunday, August 25th, 2019. Brian Francis podcast. I am him and he is me. I was thinking about this the other day. I played high school football as a cornerback, a defensive back. Listen to the old episodes and you could hear about my glorious interception. Interception, no S on the end. One interception. But I remember specifically practice in which the defensive back coach said a number of times, number of plays, Brian, when they snap that ball, this was for like a corner blitz. When they snap that ball, I want you charging. You see the D end? I want you setting up shop right in his ass. I was like, what? I just, soon as that ball snap, you set up shop right in his ass. <laughs> I thought, I thought, coach, I, I don't even, I don't think we should even run this play. I'm not a fan of this play. What kind of phraseology is that? particularly for a young high school boy. It was very confusing what he wanted me to. I said, yeah, I'll do the best I can, coach. I'll do the best I can. And the head coach, he would often say, all right, I don't want anyone standing around grab-assing. Grab-assing was a big no-no, which wouldn't mean touching other people. Grab-assing in this context was just not doing anything, just kind of standing around. Weird. Weird phraseologies. I was talking to a woman the other day, and she was describing uh, a, a married dude whom she felt was a bit henpecked by his wife. And she said, oh, his wife, man, she lives inside his ass. And again, that's weird to say that. Because in my mind, it sets forth in motion this imagery of one spelunking up the colon and then planting a little flag. Tink, tink, tink. Weird, the human language. I do think back to my times playing organized sports and coaches. In soccer, I distinctly remember a coach yelling, not about asses, but this was the phrase that he would use if we were bunching up. And this is the biggest no-no in soccer, particularly the younger years of soccer, how everyone is drawn to the ball like moths to a flame. He would yell, stop bunching up. Quit bunching up. What do you want, a date with him? Stop bunching up. What do you want, a date with him? This was the sort of coaching I received in the late 80s. I was coached through a series of homophobic commands. I said, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not on a date with him. And I don't want to set up shop in his ass either. This was just, just show me where I should be on the field. We don't have to go into this imagery, coach. I'm a midfielder. Should I breach the 50 on an offensive? Should I hang back? That's all I need. The excessive metaphors really are a disservice at this point. 
Welcome to the podcast. I want to thank last week's guest, Mr. Rick Topper, as we had a fun and chippy political discussion. I'm trying to think of other ways to debate and compete with Mr. Rick Topper on the podcast. I think next time I'm envisioning a sort of MMA cage match situation. I think I could take him. He's a couple years my senior. I think I could take him. So I'll keep you posted and I'll let you know if he accepts my MMA cage match offer. The ad for the podcast. The podcast is sponsored by Integrity Wealth Management. They can help you with portfolio management, retirement planning, financial planning, estate planning and services, life insurance, and wealth preservation strategies. Please call them at 215-864-3598 or visit their website at www.integritywealthmanagement.com. I mentioned last time that we went to Portugal as a family vacation and uh, somebody was asking me about it. And I said, well, here's the thing. Portugal peaked in like 1590. Portugal, that they were the big boom years for Portugal. The spice trade, they own that spice trade. So you can kind of feel that the Portuguese are walking around with a little pop in their step about the 1590. They're a little cocky about the spice trade and how for a decade or so, they were the country to beat. I worry I'll get like that with the night with the 2018 Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl championship. Like, will this be my high watermark of existence and will I still hang on to it 20 years from now? Yeah, but remember 2018? Glory days. Look in a young girl's eye. All right, I kind of like that Springsteen song. I'll give him that. I don't want to just hold on to the 2018 season, although I was down the shore and those Eagles Super Bowl shirts are sort of petering out, aren't they? Life is moving on. I want to just linger in the world of 2018. But we have an upcoming Eagles season happening, preseason now. Here's what a lazy television producer will often do when airing Eagles games on television. The outro to commercial often features the Steve Miller song, Fly Like an Eagle, to the sea, accompanied by an image of a chef chopping meats in preparation for a Philly cheesesteak. These are the two go-tos if you're eh, not too familiar with Philadelphia and you just want to go with the first two knee-jerk images that come to your mind. Let's play that Steve Miller song and let's have someone shopping up a cheesesteak. I told my buddy this. He's a Jets fan, New York Jets. And the Eagles, because they're a pretty successful team, have a lot of national commercials when they play. The Jets, a little bit of a second market team, considering the more successful New York Giants existing in the same market. So the Jets seem to have commercials that are more local-based commercials. And they always have this low-tier uh, look and sound quality that's a little iffy. 
and it's usually a local used car dealer is the commercial in which this owner of the dealership has his semi-attractive niece pitching a Chrysler LeBaron. Isn't that how it works? He's pimping out his niece to pitch a Chrysler LeBaron on this local commercial. But we're back. We're back into football season. Is football season or the fall my favorite season? No. I think flu season's my favorite season. I don't know what that means. But I just came back from the shore, and speaking of the flu, I did the worst thing ever yesterday. The douchiest thing ever. And it was completely accidental, but I'm still mortified. I was in Wildwood with the family, riding my bicycle along the seawall. The seawall in Wildwood, which if you're not familiar, is a wall that is does just that. It butts up right against the sea. There are no guardrails, and one could take a nasty spill if they're not paying attention to where they're bicycling. I was pedaling along on the seawall. Many people walking on this same path because it was a beautiful day. The ocean looked wonderful. The sun shimmering off that Atlantic. And I felt a sneeze coming on. And at that moment, there were four joggers to my left, a family to my right, and I knew my eyes would shut when I sneeze, and it just, panic set in. I said, it's coming. I can't hold this thing back, and I don't know what to do, and I don't want to release two of my hands off both handle or uh, hand grips. And uh, I ended up turning my head at the exact moment a woman was pushing a baby past me in a stroller, and I sneezed on a baby. I sneezed. I, maybe not on, but in like towards, into the carriage, into the baby's carriage. By far the douchiest thing I've ever done, but it was completely accidental. I didn't even look back. I couldn't look back. I just pedaled as hard as I could to get out of there. But if you are listening, ma'am, and I assume you are, given the download numbers have exceeded 2,000, I assume you're one of the audience. Uh, I wholeheartedly apologize, uh, but there was nothing I could do. I would have took, taken a spill up the seawall. I just, but I'm sorry. So I uh, emptied my school bag and got the sand out of it and put my computer and my books back in as I return to teaching tomorrow, the first day of class when students arrive. I thought that was kind of hmm, a poetic image. Sand in the work bag. And now we brush the sand off and get ready for business. A couple weeks ago, I had a good summer. Did a lot of things. One of the things I did was down in Philly and uh, saw a punk rock show, which featured like 40 punk rock bands over eight hours. It was just an epic day, one band after the next. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a, I'm a fan of heavy music. 
and uh, and all types of music. But there's a part of me that likes that heavy stuff, and it was a good show. It was called This Is Hardcore, and it was a three-day festival. I call it the third day. I'll be back. But I was thinking about heavy music. What is the heaviest music out there? Write me. Who's the heaviest band out there? Write me at Brian Francis Podcast at Outlook.com. Is it Cannibal Corpse? Is it Morbid Angel? Nile? You know, this guttural howl sort of bands. I don't like music quite that heavy. I like my punk a little more melodic, but I have listened to Cannibal Corpse while jogging on a beautiful day, and it's like scared the crap out of me. It's like a nice sunny day, and uh, nobody knows as I jog by with my earbuds, and then I'm completely terrified on the inside. I think the most interesting genre of heavy music is Swedish death metal. Swedish death metal. Now, I never know how to feel about Sweden and Finland and Scandinavia in general because I'm always reading happiness articles because I always seek happiness. And Denmark, Sweden, Finland always occur at the top of the list in terms of happiness and in terms of successful education. Their schooling system scores are generally through the roof. So they're happy and their schools are great. And yet, they produce things like Swedish death metal and their suicide rate is significantly high. So I'm always like, where's the rub? This doesn't sink. How can the happiest people also be the most suicidal? So the most interesting Swedish death metal band, uh, for my taste, is a band called Death. Now, I don't listen to them, but I do read about music all the time. And Death had a very short career. They almost released one album, uh, but prior to its first release, the lead singer committed suicide. And the other members of the band thought it would be neat to take pictures of his corpse as he was felled by his self-inflicted shotgun blast, and put pictures of his suicide scene on the cover of their first album. That's pretty hardcore, folks. Death is a band that did not sell out. They didn't, even, they didn't sell anything. As soon as they thought about being a band, they ended it. That's, that's pretty hardcore. The most hardcore punk rocker of the American scene, I'd say, is another gentleman who's deceased. And again, this isn't a guy I listen to, but I read about music. A punk rocker in the 80s by the name, or 70s or 80s, by the name of Gigi Allen. Gigi Allen. Who was perhaps most famous for not a song or not a particular lyric, but being on stage and smearing feces on himself. So there's that. He would get on stage and then set up shop in someone's ass. And I don't know how, you know, where's the leap? Where does playing music take that left turn and become that thing on stage? 
I could imagine Gigi Allen approaching his guitar teacher as a, a young Gigi, a young boy would say, you know, instead of teaching me the G chord this week, I'd like to take this music thing in a different direction. Now, hear me out. So, alas, he is also dead. I believe he died and fans partied with his corpse all night. They, you know, they had it at a party and it, it put it in a taxi cab and bring Gigi's body over here and like a totally punk rock funeral sort of way. He partied for weeks after he died. Shifting gears, first time I went swimming with my father-in-law, we were, was it in Florida or maybe just the pool? He lives down there now. I popped my shirt off and he said, ah, no chest hair. And I said, yeah, yeah, no chest hair. And that was it. And like, I, you know, we didn't bring it up since, but I didn't know what to say. I mean, I have a little bit sparse. It's sparse, but it's there if you look close. Yeah, so no, I don't, know. I'm still trying to think of a comeback to that. I don't have a rejoinder. So if Portugal peaked in uh, 1590, I don't know when Ireland peaked, but we were over there, and, the, and I mentioned this before, but one thing I forgot to say was when we got in a taxi cab and we're ready to see the sights, we said, well, we want to see a castle in Dublin, we certainly want to see a few pubs that we have on our list. The cab driver said, did you have your breakfast first? You got to have your breakfast. He would not accept the idea of us doing any sightseeing or being involved in any tourism without a good breakfast. In fact, I mean, he wouldn't even take us to, where, to our desired locations. He said, I know a spot, laddie. I'll get you your breakfast. So, I mean, and it was good. He was right. You, one shouldn't sightsee on an empty stomach. So, uh, other things that I've done, and let me take a little uh, drink here. I've got a lemon-lime seltzer water. Mentioned about hiking the Appalachian Trail. Did a two-day sampler. That was the plan. A two-night sampler, but actually only made it one night. That trail kicked my ass. The trail set up shop in my ass and just, it was very difficult, folks. So I come back to you humbled, but ready to go again. So I kind of feel like I failed because I only hiked 20 miles over one night, but my intent was 36 miles over two nights. And um, it's the sort of failure, though, that makes me want to go back and tweak my plan. Sometimes you fail something and you're like, never again. Other times you're like, hmm, now I'm doubly inspired. What did I do wrong? How could I change it? What did I do wrong? I packed too much. I packed way too much. My bag was so heavy. It was 42 pounds, my bag. Were I to do it again, I would like to cut that number down to about 20 pounds. Because the trail was so beautiful. There were so many cool 
vistas, outlooks. And uh, I would think every couple steps, I'd think, this is neat. This is cool. God, my bag is heavy. Wow, that's beautiful. Ooh, I never saw that before. Oh, man, this bag. So uh, it broke my spirit, the weight of the bag. It really did. But I'll be back. I'm going to downscale. I'm going to probably invest in more lightweight and high-tech hiking and camping equipment. Uh, Don't tell my wife, but we're probably going to drop another G into this hobby uh, so we can get down to uh, 20 pounds. Uh, And the bag I have, it's like – it's a bag where uh, I'm kind of uh, in this 90s thing, so I just carried the backpack on my one shoulder the whole time. That might have been a problem as well. I was just one shouldering it around in this, like, uh, you know, this sort of 90s look, which I got to tell you, I think I tore so many tendons in my right shoulder because the weight was not equally distributed. Somebody said hiking, it's, uh, it's fun. It's miserable while it's happening, but fun in retrospect. I can kind of see that. Like, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of effort going on while you're hiking. But then when you're done, you're like, hmm, that was pretty cool. Can you think of other situations in life that are miserable while they're happening, but fun in retrospect? I can't. I shouldn't have brought it up if I can't think of another example, because I can't. But maybe you can. Tell me about that. But I feel like the Appalachian Trail hike, I was worried about the wrong things. Like my biggest concern was sleeping in the woods by myself and having my body get ripped apart by wild animals. That my belly and my innards would just be ripped and shredded by wild animals. But uh, what I should have been worried about was how freaking heavy my backpack was. And, you know, I didn't need to pack everything that I did. I brought a couple books to read. A couple, why? Why a couple, you know. Well, I have uh, some genre fiction. I also have uh, something in the way of biography and uh, a piece of, uh, I guess I'd like to call it alternate history. Uh, Like I, you know, if were I to approach another hiker, I could offer multiple novels for this hiker to borrow. But I didn't really see anyone at all. I hiked for over 24 hours. I saw five people. That's not a lot, I don't think. I did feel like I had the American wilderness all to myself, which was pretty cool. Because, like, you know, I feel like the trail, much like my backpack that was slung over my one shoulder, That's not true. I didn't really wear it that way. But that 90s look, I feel like maybe the trail went out of style in the late 90s, the early 2000s. I feel like once the the iPhone hit, people were like, eh, eh, maybe I'll hike that trail. But definitely I anticipated encountering more hikers, but uh, that's great. That's great. I don't, I'm not necessarily out there to yuck it up with people. And uh, the isolationism, you know, I found it fascinating and fun and beautiful and eerie and surreal. But I was freaked out at one time by being so alone in the woods. And it wasn't because of animals. Um, Although I did while I was sleeping. And I didn't make it to the trail shelter. 
I was so crushed physically that I couldn't hike anymore. I just set up shop. No, you know what I'm going to say, but I'm not going to say it this time. I set up shop about 100 yards off the trail, and I just slept in a ditch. I didn't even make it to like a clearing where people tend to hike. I was just done. But the isolation is, and the one time I truly felt it was the next morning I was hiking, and I hadn't seen anyone for hours. And I busted out a little power bar to munch on. I got about halfway through it, and I felt like I started choking on it. Uh, for for about mm, two seconds, I was choking. And a lot can go through your mind in two seconds. One of the things being, oh, my goodness, I'm really alone out here because my throat was a little parched. And I got too uh, overzealous with the power bar. I thought, I'm really alone out here. And the second thing I thought was this would be such a dumbass way to die. Really? Choking on a power bar? You're better than that, Brian. You're better than that. So I managed to muster up enough saliva to get this thing down, but that was probably the scariest part. Um, But I hiked from Lehigh Gap to Wind Gap, Pennsylvania. Uh, And the the initial hike uh, out of Lehigh Gap, I mean, it's just straight up mountain climbing. Straight up mountain climbing. I was literally taking the bag off my shoulders, putting it on top of a rock, and then uh, and then crawling up to it. My face pressed against the rocks because I was terrified of falling backwards and like the hike ending in about 11 minutes. Yeah, the first 11 minutes were just so treacherous. Then things settled down a little bit. But it's dangerous, the Pennsylvania part of Pennsylvania of the Appalachian Trail. Not necessarily dangerous. There's not a lot of mountain climbing situations, although coming out of Lehigh Gap, it was treacherous and serious climbing. But it's dangerous because of the little rocks. Pennsylvania is known in joking AT hiker culture as Rocksylvania. Yuck, 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 yuck. Rocksylvania, because there are the almost the entire state, the trail is hit it with these tiny little ankle breaker rocks. So people rip through their boots and often break their ankles. I think I've heard that it's the part in the trail that runs from Maine to Georgia. The Pennsylvania is the state that most people quit. I could, I could be wrong on that. Or maybe it's the area in which most people are injured and, and are forced to quit. But I didn't break an ankle. But then I'm unpacking my stuff. I get back, I'm in the driveway, and uh, I've got a bunch of stuff in my hands, and I'm bringing it into the garage. And I tripped on a garden stone that was out of place, and then I almost broke my ankle in my driveway on the garden stone. I thought this this is ironic. <sighs> so it was hard, but I'm gonna do it again. I just can't believe that there's a path that runs from Maine to Georgia. Like, why am I the only one talking about this? Doesn't this seem magical to you folks that someone made a path? I think about the Appalachian Trail about every 22 seconds. It's just, it's always in my mind. So I'm going to get that lightweight camping equipment. It's not, it's not a cheap hobby. Yeah, we won't tell the wife when I buy this stuff. My as you know, my wife is financially brilliant uh, and, and, and socially brilliant and uh, work-wise and just uh, quite the earner, quite the go-getter, quite the uh, 
alpha alpha female can you can use that word white alpha and uh, omega the alpha and the omega uh so you know i'm setting her up to knock her down now right so i got to do this preamble praise uh brilliant in so many subjects save one history she's a total dunce when it comes to history she said the other night we were at dinner she said uh with another couple she said now somehow history came up she said well now what's what came first world war ii or vietnam i always get the i said jesus christ and like ironically enough this couple that we were out to dinner with both served in the military and have significant military backgrounds i turned to the guy i said look i gotta apologize for my wife i didn't uh i you know, I'm sorry you risked your life to protect her freedom after a comment like that. It almost feels like she doesn't deserve the freedoms that you've given her. Man, <laughs> we were cracking up about it. The wife said, well, at least she didn't ask uh, what came first, World War One or World War Two." I said, yeah, that, that's, a, a good, that's a good point. I'll mess with her, though. I'll be like, sometimes when we're just on a long car ride, I'll start hammering her with questions about history because I find it amusing. I'll say something like, so who was the president of the United States during the Civil War? She'll be like, I don't know. Herbie Hancock? I don't know. <laughs> I'll say Herbie Hancock. Interesting. Interesting selection. Close, but not. it wasn't. The avant-garde jazz musician, Herbie Hancock. I'll say, all right, who was the first president? She'll say, Thomas Jefferson? No, wait. Ben Franklin? No, wait. It's a trick. They, there were two. They were co-presidents. All right, I'll say both Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin. And I'll just be silent in awe. Then I'll say, wow, just... Can you just keep talking? Just keep thinking out loud. Just continue this thread. I'll see you're on the right track. They were co-presidents. <laughs> it's just keep talking. Just do you. You do you. But I know like um, here, if we were we to get divorced and things turn nasty, this is what I would do. I already have a go-to plan in my mind. If I really wanted to take her down, I would contact the government and I would say, anonymously, I would say, this woman cannot pass a United States citizenship test. Quiz her now. No, I mean, probably her birth certificate is accurate and she was probably born in the United States, but... I don't think she can pass the history section of the citizenship test. I would be a little anonymous whistleblower and get her deported. They would say, okay, um, what came first, World War II or Vietnam, in a multiple choice question? She would answer, D, problem cannot be solved. But it was it was fun going out to dinner. I looked sharp. I had this uh, 
this outfit. Yeah, as a man, I think I can say the word outfit. And uh, a number of years ago, I had this money outfit. And uh, the amazing part was, at least what I find amazing about this, is it was, how much did I pay for the shirt and the pants in total? $5. $5. I found this shirt on clearance for like $4. And then I found these money jeans that were mismarked. And I don't know what happened, but I think it said $1. And I argued with the cashier. She said, well, that appears to be a mistake. Uh, It shouldn't say $1. I said, but it does. But it does say $1. And she said, yeah, but obviously these jeans aren't $1. It's just they were mismarked. I said, but it does. So... After this back and forth exchange for a while, I walked out of the store with a money $5 outfit, which was my like A1 go-to for like six months, this shirt and pant combo. I've also purchased very cheap clothes at a certain store, uh, and, and you know, they just don't feel right. That It feels like the sort of material that is used in a drop cloth if you're painting an interior of a house, that rough material. And as soon as I get outside, I'm like, what a great deal I got on this shirt. But then the seams just start to explode. They sell like exploding clothes. But I can't turn down a good deal, even if these clothes uh, explode and implode the second you leave the store. Phillies are flailing. They're flailing so much that they brought in their old manager that won the World Series in 08. Charlie Manuel, old school Charlie, an older gentleman who's kind of full of baseball wisdom. They brought him in as the hitting coach uh, to maybe uh, usurp our current manager, Gabe Kapler, who's that California computer boy. And uh, it's almost like they hired dad again, like dad's coming back to clean up this mess this hippie caused. Uncle Charlie's coming back, and he's not happy. So Gabe, our manager, is all about using the Internet to devise statistics, saver metrics, and money ball analysis of each individual pitch player and batting and at-bat situation. So he's our computer whiz, uh, the guy that Charlie manually hired. I don't even think he can do email. He's like, what? Just write it on a yellow legal tablet and I'll get back to you. This is where we're scrambling. We don't know what wins World Series. Is it computer? Is it old school tough love? Again, this is how education functions too. The key to educating children is grit. Grit was the key four years ago. No, now it's projects. Nope. Now it's individual instruction. No, it's mainstreaming everyone. No, it's pulling kids out. No, it's more test. It's less testing. We just hop manically from one study to the next. Whereas Sweden and Finland have the highest scores and the highest suicide rates. So maybe we should look to them. Actually, I do think we should look to that education system kind of behind that. Not the suicide part, but the other parts.
Took a little ride up to Amish country the other day. This is what I do towards the end of the summer all alone. What, you know, I try to fill my days with little day trips. I went up there with the intent to buy some shoe fly pie. Got up there around Gap PA, around Intercourse PA, Paradise PA, out in Lancaster County, Amish country. Every time I go out there, I'm always like struck by uh by a horse and buggy in a hit and run now i'm always struck by i am i always think i can't believe this is still happening this is still they're still doing this in a happy way not in a judgmental way i'm so glad this is still going on i'm so glad for it though i don't know if you've ever been out to amish country but obviously you know that they sh- uh that they are sort of anti-technology, cars and no-no, horse and buggies preferred. Now, here's where it gets fascinating to me. Bicycles frowned upon, scooters encouraged. Bicycles, eh, a little cocky. A little, like a slap in the face to God. Scooters, fine. Pedals, satanic but pushing with one's foot okay interesting i love the rules of this gears gears on a bike you're putting on airs you think you're better than god with your 10 speed bike but i don't know because i'm like well god gave us the brain to figure out how to make a 10 speed bike why not celebrate it but I do like the Amish, and I'm glad they exist. And I'm just bitter because I applied to be Amish, and my application was rejected. It's not fair. But I did buy a shoe fly pie and uh, purchase uh, from a woman, uh, I don't know, 25-year-old, 30-year-old uh, Amish girl. And uh, I, feel like, uh, I feel like I had a moment with her, I got to say. I got happily married, but, you know, you still pick up vibrations. I was picking up electricity. I feel like when we looked into one another's eyes when I purchased the shoe fly pie, she was looking at me thinking, take me away. Take me away. I could sense that, and I could, it could be a misread. I purchased my shoe fly pie. She said, have a blessed day, and I left. But I feel like that was... Maybe subconsciously, maybe I invented it. I don't know, but I felt like that was the intent. And what would ha- what would my life be like then? I couldn't podcast, or could I? I a concession to anti technology. I would podcast on a brother word processor, live from Blue Ball, Pennsylvania. Those Amish man, they're cool. I would just scooter around all day. Well, I think we're uh, we're starting to wind things down, aren't we? Are there any more jokes in this world? Yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple. There's a woman in our neighborhood whom my wife and I both believe appeared on the television program American Ninja. To look at her, she's cut. She has the swagger and... Uh, gait 
of an American ninja. When she walks the dog, I think, yeah, I could see that. And both of us, we periodically glance at the show. It's a good show to watch when you're with older people and there's nothing to put on. I usually put on that or like some dog show, something easy that you don't have to think about. And I mean, we we feel like we've seen her actually, but it could be wrong. We don't have any definitive proof of this. And I want to ask her, hi, were you on American Ninja? And I saw her the other day. I haven't seen her in a while. And I was going to approach her, but I was getting out of my car and I had in my hand a bag of food from McDonald's. And it just felt ugly. I just, I had the bag and the hash browns were sweating through the bag. And I thought, oh, I'm just, I'm such a pathetic human compared to this ninja that right now would not be the proper context to approach her and ask her about her, her ninja with my disgusting bag of McDonald's in my hand. So I'll keep you posted. If it is in fact, if she is in fact a ninja or not. Um, what else to say? I think I'll close out. Uh, but I'm going to say one more I'll say one more thing, uh, and this is a huge, huge spoiler alert. So I do want to talk about Game of Thrones because I just finished the show. But if you have not watched it and plan to, I'm going to give away some major plot points right now. So I would encourage you to stop listening now as I begin to discuss, recap, and review my experience this summer watching the entirety of Game of Thrones from Season 1 to Season 8. Are you ready? Stop now, again, if you don't want major spoilers. All right. So, yeah, it's the first series I've watched in its completion, save for, I think, The Sopranos I watched all the way through. And House of Cards and Mad Men, I made it pretty deep into those series, but I never watched the whole thing. Not a huge TV guy, but I do try to commit occasionally to something. Uh, And I was highly entertained, highly entertained by Game of Thrones. Um, I thought, well, to get straight to the ending, let's do that. Uh, I like the ending. Some people bashed it, but I thought it was uh, pretty decent. How else could it have ended? Now, I will say this in terms of criticism. Daenerys's shift from benevolent queen to sort of power-hungry militant, I found it to be the transition was a bit too abrupt. I felt it a bit unnatural that she suddenly burned uh, the Red Keep and, and King's Landing. Now, that being said, after they won the Battle of King's Landing and uh, Cersei's troops surrendered, and then Daenerys goes and sends the dragon in anyway to sink that city to ashes, I did do this. I went, <gasps> I was watching the show and I went, <gasps> so, you know, that's a good drama. I mean, that's, that's why that show is good. It often just had the unexpected, didn't it? It got you emotionally leaning one way, thinking there's no other way than that this plot could go, but this way, and then bam, they'll swing it back the other way. So, I mean, kudos to the novels, uh, as well as the TV show in, uh, just great writing. Just great, right? It figured out the pattern of the human mind. You know, what do we want? Uh, We want uh, 
Sex, death, plot twist, cool scenery, humor, repeat. Sex, death, plot twist. And just, you know, it figured out that cycle. This is how we like our entertainment in increments in this chunk. Not everyone. That's a generalization. But I'm trying to figure out the formula of what made the show so successful. I think that's it. My favorite character was Braun. Tyrion sellsword Braun. I really liked his worldview. Humorous and heroic bloke. But a lot of great characters. Fantastic. So I feel almost a little sad. My summer Game of Thrones is over. I started it in June, ended it two days ago. Uh, heck of a series. Heck of a show. All right, folks, that's it. Questions, comments, concerns, complaints. Please, con- please contact Brian Francis Podcast at Outlook.com. Thanks for listening. Next episode, me versus Rick Topper in a steel cage death match. Later.